Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. We're starting a new, very short series today on the gospel. We're going back to basics um, and really looking at what the gospel is. The gospel is the foundation of Christian faith. And if you aren't even sure what that word means when I say it, you're in the right place because that's what we're going to do today is define the gospel. And I want to do this for two reasons. Uh, One, we're focusing on spiritual practices throughout the year as we head toward the fall and we become Hillside Church and we're joining this new denomination. We're doing lots of crazy things. Um, I wanted to, one, root us as we're talking about practices in the good news of Jesus. And number two is, right after Easter, we're going to start a series on giving and generosity. And as we talk about money and giving and generosity, it can feel very legalistic to talk about those things and how we give and how we serve and how we use the resources God has given us. And rooting ourselves in the good news of Jesus will help us to curb any legalism we feel or guilt that we might feel as we talk about giving and money. And so I wanted to root us here before we go into what might feel a little heavy for some folks. Uh, So that's why we're in the gospel through Easter. And then beginning the following week after Easter, we're going to start talking about giving and generosity, followed by the practice of gathering, and then the practice of Sabbath, and that'll take us through the fall. So that's your roadmap for where we're going to be in the coming months. Um, I've built a a teaching team. I've requested some people to join a teaching team, so we're going to be teaching together and reviewing some of the stuff, so it's not just going to be me. Um, There are going to be other people here preaching and talking through this stuff as we go through the fall. But today, we're focusing in on 1 Corinthians 15 to the summary of the gospel that is given to us by the Apostle Paul. And so Terry's going to come and read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Thank you. Good morning. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, for you received on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you, most important, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. All right, here we are, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I asked the band to sing, uh, I've Decided to Follow Jesus, and they found this incredible song, No Turning Back, which, thank you, that was was awesome. because when we, when we come to the Christian faith, the Christian faith is following Jesus. That, that is what it is. There's nothing more or less to the Christian faith than following Jesus. We actually studied that a little bit in John 14, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. The earliest followers of Jesus, the earliest disciples of Jesus, all they did was follow Jesus. And ever since then, What it means to be a Christian is simply to follow Jesus. So that's what we do. 
But we follow Jesus in response to a message about who he is. We follow Jesus in response to the gospel. You see, following Jesus is not the gospel. The gospel is the story of Jesus. And that's where we're anchoring ourselves here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in some of the oldest verses in the entire New Testament. Now, I know when you read your New Testament, you might assume that the gospels came first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that these were the first written things and then the other stuff was added on to it. But in reality, the, what we call the epistles, the letters of Paul, they were the first parts of the New Testament written. The Gospels generally came a little later. The Gospel of Mark was written first, and then Luke and Matthew borrowed from Mark, and then John wrote his Gospel independently of the other three, but probably much later because John was the apostle who lived the longest. He lived well into his 90s. So John wrote his gospel probably in the 70s, 80s, 80, maybe 60s, 80. A lot of the epistles that are written, these letters from the Apostle Paul, they're written as early as the 40s, 50s AD. They're written very early, before many of the gospels that we have, before probably even the gospel of Mark. Um, And so when we go to these epistles, what we're reading is some of the earliest work of the Christian church. Some of the earliest theology, some of the earliest ideas. And in this text, we actually encounter what we think is one of the earliest creeds of the church. One of the earliest confessions of the church. And so we're going to get there in just a minute. But first, we start in the first two verses. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, that is, this guy who was a Pharisee, he was a, a very... Uh, he was a teacher of the law. He was a teacher of, to the people of Israel. Jesus meets Paul on a road. Paul is going to, to um, persecute the church. He's on his way to Damascus. He's got a, he's got a written decree from the leaders in, Rome, in Jude, Jerusalem that says he's allowed to go and persecute any groups of Christians that he finds. He knows there's a big group in Damascus. That's actually kind of where the church begins. And uh, Paul is heading up to Damascus, and as he's on his way, uh, he's riding along, he's got his little entourage, his coterie of people with him, and they're heading up, and then Jesus like blindingly appears to this guy named Saul, and knocks him off his horse or donkey or whatever he's riding. Paul falls to the ground, says, who is, who is you, who are you, who is this? And Jesus, in his blinding light, says to Saul, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he tells Paul all that he's going to suffer. <laughs> he tells Paul, you're going to be my mouthpiece. And he sends Paul on his way. At this time, Paul's name is Saul. Later, Saul gets to Damascus. He meets a guy named Ananias. Ananias knows he's coming. They have a conversation. Saul learns so much more about Jesus. Saul actually goes away to learn about Jesus. He like retreats and goes to Arabia for a long time to learn about Jesus. And then he comes back and he starts preaching the good news of Jesus everywhere that he goes. And some of the first, one of the first places he goes is this town called Corinth. You can read about this in the book of Acts. It's all there. You can read about the story of Saul, how he becomes Paul, how he becomes this apostle, a sent one by Jesus to go and start new churches. One of the first places he goes is Corinth. And he doesn't have a great time in Corinth planting a church. It's kind of hard. It's kind of difficult. But he gets his church started there. What Saul would do, what Paul would do, is he would go to the synagogue, the local assembly of Jewish people. And he would preach the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people first. 
And then he would go to the marketplaces and he'd preach the good news of Jesus in the marketplaces where the Gentiles were. And then you got Jewish followers of Jesus and Gentile followers of Jesus discovering one another and starting to meet in different homes throughout the week. And they're still going to the synagogue because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. They're still going to the synagogue, but they're also meeting with one another throughout the week and they're trying to learn about Jesus. They're trying to follow Jesus together as Jews and Gentiles. And people in these Gentile communities don't really like this. Neither the Jewish folks nor the Gentile folks really like this. This is a barrier you're not supposed to cross. But all of a sudden you got these communities coming together. And you got Jews eating with Gentiles. And you got Gentiles who are no longer doing the pagan stuff they were doing before. And it's all kind of weird. And nobody really likes it because it's uncomfortable. And so they run Paul out of town every time he goes to start a new church. And so in Corinth they had run Paul out of town. And so when Paul gets run out of town, he's like, okay, I'll go to the next place. I'll start a new church. But he never forgets those towns that he started in. He never forgets the churches that he founded. And so he constantly writes letters back to them. Paul, I'm sure, wrote hundreds and hundreds of letters to the churches that he founded. We only have a very small sampling of them here in the Bible. These are not all the letters that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. And he wasn't the only one. Paul traveled with a whole bunch of people who were starting these churches, a whole bunch of other early Christian leaders who were starting these churches. What you have to get in your mind, I think sometimes when we approach the New Testament, we imagine like there's Paul starting churches around the world, there's Peter starting a church in Jerusalem and leading it, and it's these kind of tiny little groups of people and that's kind of it. But all the time that Paul is out there, thousands of people are coming to follow Jesus. And so these churches are growing in these towns. And as they're growing, they need a system. They need a a way of of codifying what they believe about Jesus so that they can easily share it with one another. So they can easily pass it on. And that's what we have here in 1 Corinthians 15. We have the gospel that Paul preached. Now Paul comes to Corinth and he's preaching the gospel. And here is a really funny way of talking We don't get it in our English translation. But in in verse 1, we read, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, okay, we're good on that, the gospel I preached to you. In Greek, it says the gospel that I gospeled to you. I want to make clear to you the good news that I good newsed to you. So Paul's going around good newsing to everybody. He's gospeling everywhere he goes. And what we learn from this, what we see from this, is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is first and foremost a story. It's a proclamation. The gospel is a proclamation of good news. And and this is really great for us. This is so good for us. Because what we understand, when we understand the gospel as a story, we understand a couple of things. One That the gospel, the good news, is true whether I believe it or not. It is not contingent on anybody believing it. It just is. It is good news to declare to the world regardless of how people respond to it. It's good news at its core. It's good news at its foundation. It's good news no matter what context it's in, no matter what place in history it's in, no matter what people it's being declared to, no matter what your background is, the gospel is good news, period, bar none, regardless. It's always good news. It's never not 
good news. The gospel is a proclamation of good news. It's that simple. Now, this is not a word that is unique to the Christian church or to the scripture at the time. The word gospel in Greek, uh, euangelion, or the verbal form euangelizomai or euangelizo, is a word that's used across the Roman Empire. It's used in all kinds of different literature for any time someone shares good news. If you got a good news to give to your neighbor, you would go gospel to them. Hey, good news, my kid is engaged, yay! Right? You would go gospel the good news of your kid's engagement. Now, within the empire of Rome, the gospel usually refers to some good news of what's happening in the government or in the empire. And so we have one specific example of gospeling across the Roman Empire that is really relevant for us. See, in about 9 BC, there was this inscription that went out across the Roman Empire. They were going to start a new calendar. They were going to start a new calendar uh, starting at year zero for the entire Roman Empire, beginning with the birth of Caesar Augustus. And so an an official inscription went out across the Roman Empire to say, hey, it's a new era, it's a new age, it's a new time because Caesar Augustus has come and we're going to start our calendars counting from the birth of Caesar Augustus because the gods have sent us Caesar Augustus as a god to save us and to bring peace across the empire. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. The beginning of the Gospel of Mark is basically built in the same way as this inscription that went across the Roman Empire, praising Caesar Augustus. And this inscription that went across the empire said, this is the good news of Caesar Augustus, our God and Savior, who has brought peace to the empire. So when we come to the New Testament and we read the word gospel, we have to remember that that's what people had in mind when they heard the word gospel, the good news of Caesar Augustus. So when the good news of Jesus comes around to these Gentile people, to these Roman people, the people under the thumb of Rome, it's good news in direct response to the good news of Caesar Augustus. It's to say, you've heard the good news of Caesar Augustus. Let me tell you the good news of Jesus that is so much better than the good news of Caesar. The good news of Jesus is so much better than the good news of Caesar. And so Paul goes around gospeling the good news, telling the good news that Jesus has come, which the people received and on which they have taken their stand, that they have believed the good news. So the first thing is the good news is a proclamation. The gospel is the proclamation of good news of Jesus that is shared everywhere with all people and is always good news no matter what our response is to it. And it's important that we we uncouple our response to the gospel from the content of the gospel itself. The gospel is not good news only if you believe it and repent. The gospel is not good news only if you take action on it. The gospel is good news whether you believe it or not. The moment that we tie the gospel to our response to it, we make it conditional. We make the good news conditional upon what we believe and how we respond. 
And as Christians, what we want to do is stand up and say, no, no, the gospel is good news in the same way that the sun rises every morning. The gospel is good news in the same way that you would receive a news report from a battle across the world. It's just news. It's true. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to love the messenger. The gospel is good news. What you do with that is what you do with it. But it doesn't change the good news. And so Paul goes proclaiming the good news across the empire. And now we get to the content of the gospel. This is where the good stuff is. Verses 3 to 5, when Paul is talking about, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. And here we get to that first earliest creed, the earliest statement of belief that would be shared from Christian to Christian. When you became a follower of Jesus, this is likely the first thing that you understand. It's the first thing you're taught. And so Paul says, first, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Paul. It's that simple. Four points. Four points that are entirely about Jesus. Not about us, not about anybody else. The gospel is the good news of these four points about Jesus. According to Paul right here, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. That is, he was raised from the dead. Christ died, was buried, and raised from the dead, and then appeared. What we got to notice first is that these points are entirely about Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. That he has come according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised and that he appeared. Ultimately, we'll see that he was ascended into heaven. And then later in the same chapter, Paul will say, he is in heaven reigning on high and he will come again. And so next week, Monica is going to take those verses and talk about the gospel as Jesus return. But for now, we're going to focus in on the gospel as Jesus coming, living, dying, rising again, and then appearing. And one of the most important things to understand here is as he's laying out these points, Jesus came, that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was raised again and he appeared. He did all these things according to the scriptures. And what, is, what does that mean? It's not just that Jesus came in a vacuum. It's not that Jesus appeared out of nowhere and all of a sudden there was this new thing that no one had ever heard before or ever had any idea about. Now, Jesus came according to the scriptures. And here's an important lesson for us as Protestant Christians in the 21st century. As Protestant American Christians, we don't value the Old Testament nearly enough. And if our gospel does not require the Old Testament, it is not the gospel of Jesus. If our good news does not require the story of God working through his people in the Old Testament scriptures, it is not the good news of Jesus. We have to have that story. Jesus makes no sense 
apart from the story of God in the Old Testament. He came according to the Scriptures. Now when Paul says this, that he came according to the Scriptures, he doesn't mean just one Scripture. He doesn't mean just those few verses that you could pull out that seem like they point to Jesus. He means the entire story of Israel contained in the Old Testament. That Jesus came according to the story of the people of God as God had set them apart and called them out in the Old Testament. According to the books of history and the books of poetry and the books of prophecy, that Jesus came according to the entire story. Not just any part of it. Not just to die for our sins. Not just to be a certain type of sacrifice. Not just to be a good moral example. Not just to do justice on the earth. But according to the entire story. Which means when we go back to the Old Testament, we can see the story of Jesus. We can see how Jesus fulfills all of the stories of the Old Testament. We can see how Jesus completes the story of Israel. We can see how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. There's one scripture in the New Testament that says that all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. That means they are fulfilled, they are done in Jesus. Jesus himself, on the road to Emmaus, he's walking with a couple of disciples after Jesus has risen. A couple of his disciples are walking, they're they're on their way to this town called Emmaus, about eight miles from Jerusalem. And as they're walking along, Jesus appears next to them, only they can't recognize him. Jesus has somehow like disguised himself. And they're walking along, and they, they tell Jesus about everything that's happened in Jerusalem recently, about the crucifixion of Jesus and all of the struggles that they've had. And Jesus, disguised, walking with these disciples, begins to tell them all the thing in the Old Testament about himself and explain to them why all these things had to happen because the scriptures said so, because the Bible said so. And so Jesus is explaining this. But in John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. And he says, you have the scripture and you think you have life in the scripture, but the scriptures point to me and you don't recognize me. So you don't have life. Over and over in Jesus' life, he's saying, the scriptures, the Old Testament, it all points to me. I am the fulfillment of Israel's story. I am the one who's come to be yes to all of the promises of God made in the Old Testament. The story of Jesus fulfilling The story of God's people is the gospel, is the good news. Jesus has come as the king of Israel, the promised Messiah, the one who would free God's people. Only it's even greater than that. Because all through the Old Testament, we see how God has commissioned his people to be a light to the nations. All throughout the Old Testament, there's this envisioned future that never really comes to pass Where God is like, look, I didn't make you just so you could enjoy my gifts for yourself. I didn't make you so you could be this selfish little nation on the on the sea of on the Mediterranean Sea, like just living it up for yourselves. I made you to be a light to everybody. I made you to bring my truth and my goodness and my reign to the entire world. Israel was never meant to be just one tiny nation. They were meant to take over the world, not through military conquest but by being an example of what it was to live under the reign of God for everybody else. 
They were meant to be such an example that the other nations would come and say, who is your God? I want to follow your God. My God is brutal and cruel. Your God is merciful and kind. My God demands so much of me. Your God has given you a way to him without fulfilling all of these requirements. My God has has led us in battle against all these nations. Your God is a God of peace who longs for peace. The people of God in the Old Testament were always meant to be an example to everybody else. And the uh, nations were meant to come to the temple of God and to be converted, to be followers of Yahweh. And Jesus comes along and he does something crazy. Jesus comes along and he starts preaching to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. And telling them about the good news that God loves them and wants them. And his, many of his Jewish brethren and sisters are like, whoa, that's a step too far. That's, just, that's too much for me. God's gifts are for God's people. They're not for those people over there. And Jesus is like, How do, you don't know the scripture, clearly. It was always meant to be this way. I was always meant to invite other people into my kingdom, into my family, into my people. We were supposed to be a light to the nations, people. And so Jesus comes as Israel's king to fulfill all of those promises, to fill all that mission, to be the light to the nations. And so when the Apostle Paul goes preaching in places like Corinth and preaching in uh, places like Thessalonica and preaching in regions like Galatia and Cappadocia, when when the Apostle Paul travels around to these Gentile, non-Jewish places and he's preaching the good news of Jesus, he's preaching Jesus is the King of Israel who came to welcome you all into his family. And in being the King of Israel, being the son of the creator God who made all things and rules all things, he's come to welcome you into God's family, into God's kingdom. He's come to make peace across the entire earth and among all the warring peoples, Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of every promise God made to his people. That is the good news. That's the good news of Jesus. That he has come to welcome everyone into a relationship with the God who made us and who wants us. And that he has come when we were opposed to him to make a way for us to be united to God. And then ultimately he has come to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we don't have to go to one temple. We don't have to go and kill a lamb and present it as a burnt offering. We don't have to go through the rituals of the temple to be cleansed. Jesus has come to be our atoning sacrifice to cleanse us and to make us one with the creator God of the universe who longs to be in relationship with us. That's the good news of Jesus. It's long and it's complicated and it can't be broken down to a couple of points in an elevator pitch. The gospel of Jesus is bigger than we could possibly imagine. It incorporates the whole story of the entire universe because it's the story of how the God who made everything came to a creation that rebelled against him and said, I still love you. I still want you. I will rescue you and call you my own. It's the story of how the God of the nations, the God of the world, the God of the universe has come to people who were his enemies and said, welcome into my kingdom. Welcome into my home. I am the one who loves you and who longs for you. This is the good news of Jesus. 
And it's good news whether we believe it or not. But when we're presented with this case, when we're presented with this story of the God of the universe who has come to welcome us into his family, regardless of who we are and who we've been, how could we want to do anything but respond in love? To respond in belief? To say, yes, that's the God I want. Yes, God, I, I want you. Yes, Jesus, I long for you. And so the question is, if the gospel is just the proclamation of this news, then so what? If the gospel is just the proclamation of the story of Jesus, fulfilling the story of Israel and opening the arms of God to everybody on the earth, then so what? What do we do in response? Well, one is to receive the news. If we've not heard it, or if we haven't heard it recently, or if we haven't been moved by it, just to receive the news, like we would any good news, to receive the good news of Jesus and say yes. But once we've received, then to believe it. It's one thing to hear the good news of Jesus. It's another thing to believe it and say, yes, that is truth. In fact, that's the truth my heart has been longing for. That is the truth. That's who God is. To believe it. To hold it. And once we have believed it, then to repent. To recognize that I have not been living in line with this truth. The way I have been living my life is not in submission to this good news, in submission to this truth. I have to repent. I have to reorient my life away from the truth that I was following, away from what I thought was truth, to this truth, to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. To believe it and then to say, okay, because I believe it, now that truth orders all of my steps. Now that truth is what defines who I am. No longer this stuff over here. And that's what repentance is. And then once we have repented, to follow. To follow Jesus. I said at the beginning, there is nothing more or less to the Christian life than following Jesus. Walking in his steps. Learning from him. Learning to be like him and to have our characters transformed to be like his character. We receive the good news of Jesus. We believe it. We hold it to be true. We repent and turn from the other truths to follow this one. And then we follow Jesus with our lives. Letting our character be molded into him. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what it is to respond to the good news of Jesus. To repent and turn to him. Maybe you've never repented of sin. Maybe you've never turned your life to Jesus. You've never turned away from the other things that are defining you to turn to Jesus and let his truth define who you are and to order your steps. Today's the day of repentance. Today's the day for salvation. To be truly saved from our sin and from the false narratives that we believe and to be brought into the one true and good narrative of the gospel of Jesus. To walk in light of this truth all the days of our lives. And so I invite you today, regardless of how far along the path we are, there's always an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, to receive it, to believe it, to repent, 
and to commit ourselves to following Jesus. So now is the moment. Now is the moment to receive the good news and to repent. So I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer. Take a moment. I'm going to give a moment of silence for you to reflect on the story of Jesus and to be led into repentance. God, today we repent. God, set before us the story of Jesus. Holy Spirit, set before us the good news of our great and good King who has come to rescue us, who has come to adopt us into the family of God, to change our story And to write and weave us into the grand story of the good news of Jesus. To make us citizens of your kingdom. To make us disciples and followers of Jesus. To make us brothers and sisters to one another. To truly live into the image of God in which we were created. Today, Lord Jesus... We turn from the narratives we've been living in. We turn from the truths we have pursued. And we step into the gospel. Into the good news of Jesus. And we walk in this story. We let your truth define us. And we ask, Father, that you would send your Holy Spirit to empower us to follow Jesus and to walk in his steps. Becoming more like him day and day after day. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.